and welcome to The Trusted Advisor, a channel-focused podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. I'm Jim Roddy, your host for today. Thank you so much for joining us. This pod and video series is designed specifically for point-of-sale resellers and software developers, and our goal is to educate you on the topics of technology, leadership, management, sales, marketing, and other small business best practices. Today on the podcast, we'll be talking about sales and business development best practices for retail IT resellers with two special guests. Jason Cowan is the principal of business development at Spark Solutions Group, a VAR headquartered near Salt Lake City, Utah. Jason joined the family business full-time in 1997. It was known back then as Cowan's Retail System, and he became a principal in 2001. He still holds that title, but focuses much of his time today on business development for Spark. Jason has been an active member of the RSPA, serving on the board of directors for nine years, including a term as the association's chairman of the board. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jim. Glad to be here. It's always a pleasure to, uh, to talk with you. Uh, and Jake West is our second guest. He's the director of business development for Vend, a channel-focused software developer of retail point-of-sale, inventory, customer management, and reporting software. Jake has worked in channel business development his entire career, starting with Mercury Payment Systems in 2007 through the acquisitions by Vantive and WorldPay before joining Vend in 2018. Jake was part of two presentations at this year's Retail Now, talking about customer success and effective partnerships. Hey, Jake, great to talk with you. Hey, Jim, thanks for having me on. Nope, always a pleasure. So uh, before we get to our questions, before we engage uh, Jake and Jason some more, our audience might be wondering why we're featuring two guests instead of a more traditional one-on-one interview, and here's why. The biggest strength of the RSPA is the community and the partnerships that can be forged, and sometimes they happen where you least expect them. So what we're going to do on many episodes of The Trusted Advisor is show the RSPA community in action by having guests share the unique perspectives and see where the conversation takes us. That's what happens every day among RSPA members, and we thought it'd be interesting to share that with you. All right, let's rock and roll. So I'm going to start with a question for both of you that I hear often from resellers, but I don't have a definitive answer for, even though I've been in this channel for over 20 years, and I've been working as a uh, business coach as well. And so I want to know from you, and Jason, if you could take this first, we're talking about lead gen. What's the most effective tactic or the two or three most effective tactics to generate leads? Well, actually, actually, Jim, there's probably more like seven or 20 activities you need to do to generate leads, right? And you need to do them all regularly. Um, you know, as, as far as the question goes, the most effective, uh, most effective one or two, of course, referrals, um, customer referrals first, um, but then, uh, you know, partner referrals as well, whether it's a uh, a, a, a somebody you have an actual you know agreement with or just you have you know another uh, sales rep in the same market that's working activities whether you create a lead group or something like that uh, and that's very effective um, uh, you know especially opening a new market I've had some experience opening a new market and and you know the credibility that comes along with that referral uh, is key for a brand new customer so referrals the other thing that I've been aware of is is um, either marketing by the reseller or marketing by the vendor to make sure that there's a really good product awareness. Uh, because as a reseller, we can do all, uh, you know, everything that we can keep trying to do. But if we walk in there and talk to a, a merchant or, or send them information about a product that they've never heard before and don't have any other uh, information about, it makes, the, it makes the process much more difficult. 
Great. Jake, let me get your list, and then if we could break down some of these to uh, give some uh, tactics to our audience in terms of how to execute upon those. Jake, what yeah. have you seen from resellers of the most effective lead gen tactics? Yeah, so when we talk to our resellers, Jim, what we really coach our, our um, partners on is thinking about who is your competitors, right? It, are you competing against a local reseller? For us, it's typically not. Um, from a competition standpoint, we, we think about our resellers as typically competing against companies like Square and Shopify, right, that are opening up businesses. And um, in today's, you know, business owner and generation, they're looking to move into a point of sale software solution or a software solution that's able to manage their business. So we really coach our, our, our resellers on going to places where, where others can't go, right? Meaning, um, you've got a local community, you've got local relationships as a reseller. Um, companies like Square and Shopify don't have those relationships. So if you're able to um, differentiate yourself from you know, companies that are selling purely on the web, leveraging those local relationships, and then as Jason pointed to, once you have one or two underneath your belt, you know, develop a, a case study or at least a talk track on what uh, other customers like them are doing. We see a ton of success within our reseller community. So it's, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, going out and finding your niche and, and repeating it, right? But it's all about how do I leverage that differentiator that I have that Square surely doesn't have, which is that local relationship and then working in a repeatable fashion. And I do have to say, just for full disclosure, so Jake's in my tenure at Vantive WorldPay crossed over a little bit. And TalkTrack is definitely one of those inside terminologies, right, inside of that organization. Jason, you probably heard it as well. I was yeah. having my, uh, I was back in my, uh, you know, having some flashbacks there in terms of talking about TalkTrack. So uh, thank you for that. Um, so let's dive into that a little bit. So you both really touched on the local referrals. Jason, how do you go about making those happen? Because what I've seen a lot of folks do is they say, I'll get referrals when I get them, and they're great, as opposed to actually sparking those things that happen. No pun intended with Spark Solutions Group. Yeah, but, thank uh, you. Yeah. How have, yeah, how have you made those happen, especially that you're in a – and I guess if you give a little of the backstory in terms of the new market that you're in right now. Yeah, um, so um, I, I moved to San Diego to open a, an office here. Our headquarters is in Salt Lake City. We've been in – that's where we've been since 1974 – Covering Utah and Idaho and Wyoming and in those areas, I moved to um, I moved to San Diego to uh, help launch the Mobile Bytes product uh, here, and then of course the uh, Heartland acquired Mobile Bytes. So you know, honestly, we've had we've had some pretty good referral partners historically, but out of Utah, um, we just had so many customers that the referrals just kind of came either with the customers opening another location, which isn't quite a referral, right? It's a customer expanding, but uh, um, but uh, having sites to, that will send business our way, we just had a really big um, customer base. So moving to San Diego, didn't have that. So I really started working with, um, like I said earlier, lo local sales reps, whether they're, we focus only on restaurants, that's our target market. And um, so I started working with food purveyors. Well, with the Heartland uh, scenario, I really started working with Heartland reps a lot more. And um, though, you know, there, there, that has its challenges as well, there are definitely some really good, thing, good things that I've taken from that of, of active um, communication with them. And, it's, and to make sure that with a referral partner, especially if they're a vendor that are also selling to your same market, that a lot of the conversation isn't just, hey, do you have a lead for me today? Or here's a lead I have for you today. 
It's what's going on in your market. Is there anything I can do to help you? Let's get together and have a coffee and just talk about what's happening. And, and then, you know, those, those uh, conversations do turn into, oh, you know what? I heard about this happening. Or I heard about that happening. And then all of a sudden you're collaborating more on different projects and then the sales do come with that, with that as well. So that's been, that's been a very um, interesting and, and powerful component to the referral process. And Jay, can you expand upon that? Jason's touching on one of the points that was brought up during the partnership panel that you were part of uh, at retail now in terms of have expanded conversations with your vendor partners, really lean on them. Can you talk about being an ISV, you know, how important that is for resellers to lean on you? Yeah, um, with our reseller partners, we really are pushing them to elevate their sales conversations, um, moving away from a commodity based conversation on just talking about rates or what they have today into painting the picture on providing them a business management solution, not not a point of sale, a business management solution, a, a piece of software that they invest three to five dollars a day in that that runs their entire business. Right. And when we talk about elevating that sales conversation and moving a rates away from just a, a rates conversation with our resellers, we really coach them on don't even talk about price, at least not early on. Um, talk to them about implementing a business management solution that's going to help save them time, uh, drive business efficiencies, and ultimately grow their business. Um, so at Vend, we've we've really been pushing a lot right now on our advanced uh, marketing and loyalty solution focused on uh, growing retailers' establishments, so bringing in more uh, volume into their brick-and-mortar establishment. So when we talk to our resellers, it's it's giving them a, a talk track and helping them implement some words and terminology that shifts that conversation from transactional uh, to really a consulting conversation around uh, implementing business management tools that grows grows their organization. And as I mentioned earlier on, start to develop a, a case study or a reference customer around it, right? Once you know your niche, you're able to, to win a customer or two. Um, you're able to show some like real ROI on what you're delivering then you're able to repeat it time and time again, where you can slowly take over a community. Great. I really love that business management solution as opposed to selling a point of sale system. Because point of sale is so limiting, but if you're talking about business management solution, totally different. I have a business management solution for your restaurant or retail establishment. I, I really like that. Can you expand upon that case study point? Like I've talked to a lot of resellers and once they get to marketing, they're like, I have the resources. I'm not a writer. How do I do yeah. that? Because I talk to them about success stories are so important. Can you talk about how have you seen uh, resellers with limited means, I guess I'll say, uh, execute on producing these case studies or success stories? Yeah, the reality is resellers don't have to do it all themselves, Jim. Um, don't like don't re recreate the wheel. Like when partnering with a company like Vend or Cowan um, or, or Jason Cowan's company, Spark, um, the reality is these companies are large. They've got marketing departments and you can leverage uh, organizations like Vend um, to develop case studies for you, quite honestly. Like you don't have to go and, and build it yourself. Um, so we're really focused on talking to our resellers around, uh, you know, getting a definition of what your ideal customer profile is, your ICP, right? What are the customers that are right in your bullseye um, that you want to focus on, right? So starting to target those customers and then um, leveraging your software vendor to help you build out that case study and marketing resources um, so that you don't have to do it them yourselves. Uh, Vend has a, a large marketing team. Why not, why not leverage us over building it yourself, right? Um, 
a good example. So I live in Durango, Colorado, small mountain town, right? Um, and uh, we have a, a local reseller here that's done very well in the, the restaurant community. And um, when Bend, we opened up shop here, um, we were able to provide him a solution that he didn't have before, which is a, a retail solution, right? So um, he canvassed Main Street in downtown Durango um, and got Bend embedded with a ski and snowboard shop, right? Perfect fit for us. Um, after we were up and running with that customer, after 30 days, he approached the customer and said, hey, can we do a case study with you? on your success with me um, implementing the solution and what you've seen with your business. And you know the, the owner was fine with it, right? So we set up an hour with him, we put together a one page collateral. He then leveraged that collateral and that case study and went and used it 10 more times to win 10 more customers, right? So once you understand what is my ideal customer profile, um, what's a solution that I can leverage that differentiates myself from the rest of the competition out there? Um, and leverage those local relationships, you can start repeating it time and time again. Got it, and Jason, and as Jake was talking, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna add that it, it's become very apparent and very clear for the resellers, as Jake mentioned earlier, competing with with uh, Square or Shopify and on my side with Toast and Upserve, these national direct selling companies. As a reseller, we have to change our marketing message. There's no question because our prospects are being and our current customers are being hounded by this marketing, you know, big, big spend by these national companies in, in a lot of different marketing areas. We have to be there too. And then like, like Jake said, we have to be very specific. Uh, we went back and surveyed our customers. Why, why are you buying from us? And then we, we did that whole marketing message based on what our customers told us, why they're buying from us. And it was pretty, it was really enlightening. We were just like, oh yeah, of course this is why. But we keep trying to compete with these national companies at their level with their message, which is the wrong approach. We need to compete with them. You know, yes, we need to be out there and we need to change the, 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 uh, the method in which we're marketing. So it's not just, you know, up and down the street canvassing, but we do have to have that very specific message. Very good. And uh, just a quick plug from an artist based services standpoint, we have a, 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 a service called a customer health checkup merchant survey that if you're an artist pay reseller member, it's essentially a turnkey solution where we'll design the survey for you. We'll design the email messages. All you have to do is send it out to your group. We collect it, analyze it for you. It's just a great way for you to learn the uh, uh, uncover the blind spots in your business for one, but then also can produce a whole lot of potential case studies and testimonials for you. So again, just like lean on your vendors, lean on your association as well. So, well, great. Thank you for those tactics. That was very helpful. I was taking notes when folks say to me now, what are the best tactics you'll be able to say? Well, Jake and Jason said this. <laughs> um, so you were talking about lead gen. Can you talk about the best practices for qualifying those prospects? And Jason, if you can take this, like, like how do you determine a strong prospect and who could potentially be a waste of time and energy for you? Sure. Um, uh, so as I mentioned before, we focus strictly on restaurants and then we have become very good at identifying what's our target market and where we bring the most value. Um, and so, um, you know, it's a very easy thing for us to start analyzing is, well, what's, what's the general volume of this restaurant, you know, their sales volume. Uh, we focus on restaurants that do a million dollars a year or more. Um, uh, and, and of course, it's a guideline. We kind of can, you know, make adjustments based on people's needs. But it was, uh, to your question, Jim, like if it's, you know, down and dirty, what, who are we calling on? I want a restaurateur who's been in business before. It's not their first restaurant and they uh, or they've been in the industry anyway. 
and um, and they do a million dollars a year or more. That's where we bring the most value. So those are quick ones. Then then obviously when we're talking to them, uh, uh, we start asking probing questions to really understand um, where they find value in their vendor. Um, you know, if we continually get compared to Square and Clover throughout the conversation, and and I can tell, or our sales reps can tell that they actually like that offering, then we're pretty quick to, you know, move on. We try and get them to understand our side and what our what our uh, value proposition is, but we don't want to fight it for for too long. <laughs> Those are good products for the for certain markets, right? So if that's where they fit, then that's great. Yeah, there's a book called I was looking on my bookshelf, but I'm can't it's like let's get real or let's not play. I don't know if you're familiar with that book at all, but it talks about it. you could spend all sorts of time in the proposal and volleying stage, but it's better that you get right to the heart of it in terms of are you a fit for us or not. And you're saying, Jason, you just ask some specific pointed questions, they're gonna uncover that early on. Is it is it as simple as that? You have to know what your market is, ask them those qualifying questions and then see if you should keep trying to dance with them. Absolutely. And we try and do that even earlier, you know, in a phone conversation early on rather than it used to be that, you know, go and meet on site. Sometimes you still have to do the on site visit. Uh, but that, the on site visit actually can tell you a lot, too. I don't even have to ask a restaurant if they do a million dollars a year or more if I see the restaurant. Right. I can tell just by the operation. Right. So, um, uh, you know, it just depends on which, which way you go. But you have to definitely have to, to know who that is, who you're dealing with early on. I was going to Google, let's get real or let's not play, but I have a feeling I would cut off this whole podcast, right? Because it'd be, hello, hello, where are you? So I'm not brave enough to be closing any windows. Uh, Jake, what's your take uh, on that? Yeah, Can you talk about qualifying best practices? Yeah, I'm totally uh, in line with Jason's feedback there. Um, personally, I'm a big question-based selling uh, person, right? So uh, as a reseller, you need to ask questions, right, which allow you to uncover potential pain points, and then you can position value. Pretty simple, right? Unless you understand uh, the pain or the areas of need uh, for that business, you're just going to be throwing stuff against a wall and hoping something sticks, right? So ask questions uh, so that you can uncover pain and then and then present value. And with that presenting value, push for a demo, right? So with Vend, 99% of the customers that we bring on board go through a 30 to 45 minute demo with us, right? And if we uh, can engage a prospect in a demo, we've got a pretty good shot of winning them, right? It also tells you if that prospect's gonna set aside time in their day to demo the product and and get close with you to, to discussing the different workflows and uh, unique things that software can bring to their business, you've got a really good shot at, at, at winning them. So if you're able to just to pry to uncover those pain points and then present a solution, knowing where they're falling short today, um, you know, in our reseller channel, we close over 50% of the leads that we get from our partners, right? So um, it's pretty simple. If you can get a prospect to a demo, if they're willing to um, spend that time and if you're able to um, really shape that demo into how you know you're going to solve that business owner's needs, you're going to have a pretty high likelihood of winning them. So you both talked about asking a lot of questions. And so I'm going back to my days where uh, I was with Business Solutions Magazine, Jameson Publishing. So I started on the editorial side, operations side, then moved into more of a general manager role. So in the editorial side, it was natural for me to ask all sorts of questions without my nervous system going off at all. But we saw a lot of salespeople. They wanted to sell from the opening bell. They'd ask like one or two questions. They'd turn and be like, is that enough? 
Like, can I now go and sell? Like, can you talk about either one of you? How do you overcome that from a salesperson standpoint where they want to go in for the kill, but how important it is for them to stay back and really start asking those questions? Whoever wants to, to feel that one first. I can, I can jump in. Part, um, part of it has to be that the salesperson has to realize that they're, they're there in a service mode. I'm here to serve this merchant and I want to make sure that this is a good fit. We're, we're interviewing each other, um, uh, you know, and, and really getting to understand what their needs are. But it, so if they come from a, a, a position of service, right, that I'm here to serve them as opposed to I'm here to sell to them, then it changes the, changes the perspective a lot. That way, I need to make sure if I'm asking all the right questions ahead of time so that when we get to the point where I'm selling to you, you're nodding yes mostly because we've already, we've already established that these are things that we're, are going to help you. Um, otherwise, I, it, and the other nice part about that is you cut off a, a sales meeting pretty quickly for like, man, this isn't, you know, here's some pretty, I do this fairly regularly, but here's some, here's some other products that might work really well for you. You know, good luck out there. <laughs> call me, call me later. I actually have had customers call me and say, "Hey, you, you recommended I go this route before, and now I'm ready to go to this next level. So, uh, you come talk to me again." Got it. Jim, yeah, we also. Yeah, Jim, we also um, focus on retention or churn, right, within our our customer base, and we drive it down to the salesperson. Meaning, if we have a customer that leaves us within the first three months of them closing that that merchant, um, that's they're no longer compensated on that client. You find really quickly that if you start uh, counting churn or retention for your sales reps, right, they they ultimately slow down and they make sure that the business that they're getting across the line sees value in your organization and they're not just selling to hit a number, right? They're actually saying, hey, I need to you know, get the right customer on board. And if they leave me in a couple months, it's gonna negatively affect me and my paycheck. You see behaviors change almost overnight when you uh, introduce that concept into uh, into a reps comp plan. All right. If you can measure it, you can management. If you compensate it, you're going to get the result, right? Yes. Like if you put a price tag on it because salespeople are money motivated. Yeah. Uh, so, Jake, that kind of leads us into the next question that uh, I wanted to ask uh, you and, and Jason about. Uh, can you take a broader look about what makes up a successful business development program for reseller? You're touching on compensation there a little bit, but there's compensation. What are some of the other important elements and principles that go into an effective biz dev program for a VAR? Yeah. Um, when we think about VAND and differentiating ourselves from our competitors, the first thing is to be memorable, right? To stand out and uh, whether it's marketing or the means of which you uh, reach out to a partner, make it make a long lasting impression, right? In a business development program, the key to success is month over month business, right? From a partner, right? And a key to a partner's success is month over month uh, success in merchants, right? So the, the first key is like stand out and be memorable, be different, right? If you're uh, just another one of the many salespeople that's calling on a partner or a merchant, um, it's almost impossible to win, right? So we talk a lot about be different than the next sales guy, right? That's out there. Um, and you know, now, the next... like what are some ways to be different? Like you can you know, wear funny clothes or, uh, you know, like what, what are the effective things you've seen that make someone different? Yeah, it's, um, it's a great question. I mean, the first thing is come off polished, right? Like if you have a sales presentation, uh, make sure that thing looks really good and stand, stand out from the next guy. I can't tell you how many times we've had repeat customers come back because they say, man, you guys just like came off as professional and know what you're doing. Right. 
Um, the second piece is uh, whenever you have a touch with a prospect, whether it's a, on a phone call or you know during a presentation, add value, right? If, if you waste somebody's time, um, they're not gonna come back and, and wanna do business with you again. So um, you know, add value in some way, right? And, and I know that's a super broad answer on, hey, I wanna add value to every touch, but it's really thinking about uh, how can I be different? How can I ask a question that drives my end result, right? When you think about a sale, what are the steps that I need to do to get there? And how can I stand out and be different by adding value throughout those touches in the sales conversation? Um, so those are, you know, those are things that we um, definitely enforce within our, our, you know, sales folks. Um, and then, you know, and then the last thing again is when I'm thinking about a successful business development program, uh, it's to be really easy to work with, right? And that is something that the squares of the world ha have mastered, they looked at a, you know, they looked at payment processing and they said, damn, this is really hard. Like it's way more challenging than it needs to be, right? So when we think about our business development program and, and our reseller program, it's all about how can we be as simple as possible to work with, with our partners. So some examples of being easy to work with for us is having an agreement with no teeth in it, right? So like with our reseller agreement, it's like, guys, we will pay you a revenue share and a spiff. You don't have any sort of minimums you need to hit with us or teeth in the agreement. We're gonna just pay you for working with us. The second piece within you know, our partner program is you don't even have to demo our software if you don't want to. Like we will take on the entire sales process for you. But if you wanna be that, you know, if you wanna demo vend and, and, and learn our, pro our product, we've got an expert program too. So we kind of have that scale as saying, you have to know as little as what type of verticals that we're a good fit for and a couple of talk tracks or phrases to introduce us to a client all the way to being able to sell us. We can handle any aspect associated with that. Um, and then the last you know, piece of being easy to work with for us is uh, the fact that we're a pure SaaS based company. What's that mean? It means that we're month to month subscription based uh, services meaning that a merchant doesn't have to work with us unless they want to. And, and what you find is um, for one, a reseller can, you know, present and vend and say like, kind of what's the worst thing that can happen? If it's not a great solution for you, you can just move back to what you're using before. Um, what we know at Vend is if we help install that merchant, get their, you know, customer dat database loaded up and, and uh, their point of sale configured, they're never going to leave us, right? So um, it's, it's, that, it's that talk track to a merchant and saying, listen, we're a month-to-month -month based company. You want, you'll work with us because you want to, not because you have to. But we know once they start leveraging our software, it, they're not going to leave us, right? So it's, uh, it's you know, as being easy to work with, again, competing into the squares of the world, it's thinking about the initial touch with a customer all the way to a live processing uh, client. You can do as much or as little in that sales process as, as you would like. Got it. So it sounds like memorable, easy to work with, flexible. Those are things from a... Uh a biz dev program. Jason, what would you uh, say? What, uh, what have you done to build up an effective business development program? Well, <clears throat> Jake was right on and, you know, we, I was going to use a, a little different term, but it's having a good reputation. You have to ensure that you're serving your clients, you know, just like Jake said, you're bringing value. But what came, what the, the words that came to mind for me were have a good reputation and make sure that everything you do uh, uh, makes the or allows the customer allows the prospect in your market to to know that you are the expert, um, and so that their first phone call when they think of something around in our world restaurant technology 
whether it's something that we provide or not, I would, I love it when I get a phone call from somebody who asks for a product that, you know, we don't carry, we probably never would, but they're calling me because I'm the expert. And I, and I usually know at least enough that I can refer them or help them out. And again, you know, like Jake was saying, you're adding value instead of just saying, oh, we don't do that. Good luck. You know, I'm, I'm always want to take the approach of, uh, you know, I know something about that. Let me get a name or two for you and I'll email you back, you know, those types of things. So you want to be the expert, the, the person in the sales role uh, needs to be the expert. A lot, a lot of times our implementation team already are the experts, right? They're already getting all those questions. They need to be a little, they need to be aware about business development and, and, and they don't need to be salespeople, but they do need to listen to the cues of, oh, I better have you know, somebody in the sales department call this customer on this topic. So that's helpful too. And then, and then just making sure back to the point of, of the marketing, making sure that the marketing message um, is there and, and continues. I know I've, I've been a horrible marketer in my reseller community, in my reseller history. Um, and we're, and we're working on it so that we can compete in this new, in this new age of marketing for the POS world, but making sure that that message is consistent uh, um, to your target market about your expertise and about your reputation. We need to tout, you know, get those customer testimonials and we need to tout that our customers are happy with us. And here, here those people are, here are the names that you'll recognize. Got it. Very good. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit. And before we talk about more sales topics, if you guys could in like 60 or 90 seconds, you've been in the sales world for a while um, can you tell us about a memorable sales appointment that you had? Something funny, unusual, un unexpected, legal. Let's keep it all legal, like not to witness anything uh, from that degree. Uh, Jason, if you can go first. Yeah, and the, the legal part. There's definitely been a few that I'm like, I don't know that I should be talking about those strange calls. But, you know, I, one that came to mind a couple of times was um, when, when restaurateurs are opening a new restaurant and they don't have a location yet, and they, this has happened to me three or four times over my career where they invite me to their house. I'm going to go do the first sales approach at their home, right? And, and so I'm like, that's always kind of strange. Like, I don't know these people. It's one thing going to your friend's house, right? And, but it's, I'm going to a stranger's home to do a business discussion. Um, and, it, you know, I go and sit in their living room and we start, it's just, a, it's a very, I don't have a specific story per se, but it's a, it's a very odd scenario that I'm, I try not to. Now let's go to the coffee shop or let's meet somewhere else now. Okay. But, uh, it's been, you know, you're dealing, dealing with pets, you're dealing with kids. You're, it's just very chaotic. Don't, don't need to go to somebody's home. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm glad you got out alive uh, out of all those. How about you, Jake? Yeah. Funny, uh, uh, yeah. One that we had out of our Airbnb <laughs> this past winter, thinking about uh, sales uh, meetings um, at home. We were, in Dallas uh, in December for a, a client meeting and there was another customer in the area and we said, Hey, let's, you know, let's meet for a 30 minute uh, meeting. And, you know, he suggested a coffee shop and we said, you know, we've got a nice Airbnb. Why don't you just come over, over there? So we sent our sales director out to get some coffee and donuts from, uh, from the local Starbucks. Uh, he went inside Starbucks took forever. His Airbnb or his uh, Uber driver left. Right. So all of a sudden we prospect there it's kind of just strange. You know, there's no coffee, food, anything. We start talking. Long story short, our sales director gets another Uber, comes in, you know, majority of the way through the meeting. 
And uh, and uh, the prospect thought the sales director was like an Uber Eats guy that was showing up. <laughs> right. More awkward uh, meetings that we've ever had. So I, I agree with Jason. Like, when in doubt, do not host uh, sales meetings from either your Airbnb or somebody's living room, if at all possible. That's right. right. Too many ways that it can go wrong. I'll yeah. just share a quick one. So I started my own uh, newspaper, my own company when I was 23 years old. I had a sports magazine and uh, we had a local plumber who um, would, he did a ton of advertising. Like I got to land this guy. So I call up, make an appointment with him. And I look young for my age now. And you can imagine what I looked like when I was 23. And so I schedule the appointment. I ring the bell. He opens up the door. What do you want? And I said, Jack, Jim Roddy here with Sportsbook Magazine. He looks me up and down and says, school get out early today, son. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so he immediately put me back on my heels. And then as we're talking, again, I was so brand new. He looks at my rate card and he says, these were, and he let me do my whole thing. These are ridiculous. This is crazy. And he said, but you know what? I want to be on the back page. And I know he was the doctor of plumbing. You want the doctor. You know you want the doctor in your magazine. And he knew that I did. And he said, here's what I'm going to do. These rates are, I won't, I'll take away all his swearing. But he said, these rates are ridiculous. You need to come up with a new rate. And when I come back, when I come back, I either I'm going to sign up a 12-time advertisement, be on your back page, or I'm physically going to throw you out of my office. Do you understand me? And I'm like, yes. And then he leaves the room and I'm literally sweating. And then he pokes his head back in. Hey, did you want a coffee? Like I want to be friendly to him. I'm like, no, no, I don't drink coffee. And so I gave him some low ball rate, but he ended up, I ended up raising the rate over the years and he uh, ended up staying with me a few years. So um, actually the duration of the magazine. So that was my baptism into, into that. Um, so uh, good. I just, I wanted to get some of the funny stories out there. Cause I know anybody who's in sales has bumped into something that you're like, who knows where this thing came out of. Um, let's talk about effective sales management. So, uh, Jake, if we can start with you, what do you see as key internal systems that resellers, you know, and ISVs should embrace to effectively manage their biz dev team, whether it's one salesperson or whether it's a, uh, a team of sales reps? And was that to me, Jim or Jason? Yes. Yeah. If you could take that one, Jake. Cool. Yeah. So um, good question. So I actually consulted with my marketing team on this one, Jim, um, in terms of, you know, a a smaller reseller and how to, you know, manage their business. Um, The team said HubSpot's an awesome tool uh, for resellers to leverage, right? So you're able to, you know, have a small CRM, uh, you know, manage your website and marketing from that as well. Um, So from a reseller standpoint, it it sounds to me as, as though that's a great tool. And that's from, Nicola, our, our amazing marketing uh, leader. So if she says it, I trust it. Yeah. Um, for me, how I've managed my sales teams is, is through Salesforce, right? Um, and uh, I've managed sales teams of, you know, up to 10 business development execs underneath me. Um, Salesforce is obviously super simple um, in terms of building out reporting uh, infrastructure and being able to benchmark your sales, uh, you know, reps underneath underneath you so you can see how many prospects each one of my rep is working, what sales stage uh, is each uh, client um, in, what's the close date or expected date that client's going to sign with us, right? So you're able to start really benchmarking and measuring your your sales folks um, so that one, you can start to identify trends, right? So my sales, my top sales performers are doing this and my mediocre guys are doing this. 
you can spot it really quickly in terms of like what a healthy uh, pipeline needs to look like. You're able to then coach them uh, uh, to those pieces. Um, and then, you know, what we do a lot um, at Venn today and in my past life at, at Mercury is having each person on the team have their own special niche or focus, right? Whether it's a, a, a certain client that they go after, a, a partner channel, um, a vertical that they go after. And uh, what you can pretty quickly do is looking at the top prospects within that community, right? So whether you're going after a specific uh, vertical or a, a specific type of the uh, a community, you can pretty quickly see um, here's my addressable base. Here are the top uh, merchants or prospects in that uh, in that specific vertical or base, um, and then you can work on execution to get those those big guys across the line. So, for me, historically, it's always been Salesforce because you can benchmark, measure, and track uh, performance. And again, for a, a smaller reseller that's getting up and going, they need a CRM solution. Salesforce is a lot to bite off. Uh, HubSpot is, is you know, what my marketing team uh, recommends to our partners. And I could say I've worked with a lot of resellers and they swear by HubSpot. It's not a cheap date. I mean, it's not like a freemium kind of thing, but it's not enterprise wide either. So you have to spend some money, but a lot of resellers swear by it. Jason, can you talk about what you use? What are some effective tools to manage sales inside Spark? Yeah, <clears throat> you know, but the, the term I wrote down around this was focus, that you need to make sure you have focus. So first of all, uh, of course, a, a CRM tool. And I think most, probably all the resellers that I speak with have some, we've been doing this long enough, you have some form of CRM, but you definitely need to have a, a CRM tool that um, uh, allows you to put in key dates. Uh, Jake was talking about, you know, forecast, you need to have all of that stuff for your funnels and, and, your, and your opportunities. You need to have reminders. You need to be able to set reminders in the system so that, you know, if you know this system's going to be out of date in two years that your prospect is using, that you have a reminder to go call on them again. Um, and then we even use, we use ConnectWise uh, internally for our whole organization, it's our ERP solution. And um, uh, it, through the activity, we use activity points so that the sales rep is earning points based on what activity they're doing. And we look at those activity points each week as one of the benchmarks that we're measuring. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, uh, go, go ahead. If you, can you can you explain that activity point system in a little bit more detail for somebody who doesn't do that? I remember you explained that to me once. I thought it was pretty neat. Yeah, it's been great from a, at least a, another level of a benchmark for, a, you know, you have multiple ways to manage and multiple things you're managing your, your salespeople on sales and actual revenue generation being, you know, the most important, but our sales cycles are long, right? So you can't just always say, um, uh, you, did you close enough business this, especially for a new rep? Did you close enough business this month or this quarter? So we're always, we want to make sure we're measuring the tasks that we know will bring more business in the future. And so we break those tasks down into email correspondence, appoint, appointments with prospects, appointments with customers, um, social media posts, uh, thank you notes we even give points for, uh, demos, of course, and wins, right? And they have different points. So like an email may be three points, but a, a demo's 10 and a win is 20, something to that effect. And obviously the numbers are arbitrary. You just, your company, you choose what the number you want it to be. And, um, you know, our, our reps need to hit um, 150 points minimum, like that's just required. And we're actually right now talking about um, 
uh, having that also correspond with um, or be a, a component of their comp plan so that their commission will actually increase more when they're hitting these higher numbers of activities. Because we just know those activities give them more opportunity to, to have more demos, more wins for the yeah. business. I've always found that interesting. Jake, what's your take on the points system? Yeah, I love it. Um, it's all about measurements, right? With, uh, with any part of sales, right? And if you can start putting some uh, quantitative measurements behind activity, um, it's going to drive results. I always say uh, expectations drive results, right? And uh, if you can set expectations around activity, um, it's going to drive the end results for you. Yeah, yeah let me also add results. Yeah. And let me also add too, Jim, is the, the value um, of the information that the rep is gathering about prospects, you know, you get the history in there. So now you're ensuring that they have a reason, another reason to put all that information in your system. So even if they leave you, you at least have, you know, the value of the database that's been created uh, while they've been there. Got it. Very good. And so uh, thank you for those specifics. I have a couple more questions for you guys, but first let's pause here for a moment because I want to let our listeners and viewers know this is the selling part of our sales uh, and business development presentation. I want to let our listeners and viewers know that an RSP membership has never been more valuable or affordable. The RSP recently expanded its VAR and ISV member benefits to include discounts on health insurance, HR services, office supplies, and shipping. Also, RSP members now have access to a legal advisor, security advisor, sales coach, and a VAR and ISV business advisor. That's all included in your annual RSP membership, which resellers starts at just $250 a year. That's Anybody guess? Can you do the math? How many that is a day? 68 cents a day. That's right. Like Jace, or Jake, your uh, three to $5 a month. Like that makes it really quick to understand. 68 cents a day for three to $5 a day. Uh, six, 68 cents a day for these high value services. Without an RSP membership, you'll either spend thousands of dollars paying an outside consultant who doesn't know the channel, or you'll end up going it alone during these turbulent times in our industry. Also, we want to say thank you to our sponsors who support the RSP community and make this podcast and video series possible. Our platinum sponsors are Blue Star, Heartland, ScanSource, and Shift4 Payments. And our gold sponsors are Epson and TSIS. To receive the benefits of an RSP membership or uh, RSPA sponsorship, email membership at gorspa.org. Again, that's membership at gorspa.org. And finally, don't forget to save the date for Retail Now 2020. August 2nd through 5th at the Venetian in Las Vegas. Retail Now is where the industry meets. You guys plan on going to Retail Now this year? Every year? Yeah. Every year. Yeah, 1% chance or 100% chance you'll be going to the event? 100% a a chance of sponsoring as well. All right, wonderful. How about you, Jason? Uh, I'm at like 95.5% chance i have a family vacation that's always right before that so if something gets uh, uh changed that might not happen but i always want to be there all right well we'll have the vacation in vegas make it a two-for-one special it's it close like... this year it's close yeah <laughs> the perfect place for a family vacation or the worst place it depends on what happens in <laughs> vegas uh, a couple more questions for you so we were touching on a little bit about uh, sales rep management and jake that's what i liked about setting the expectations can you tell, uh, starting with you, Jason, maybe a story about a sales rep that you helped or you saw uh, improve significantly from some help? Like at one point they weren't effective, but they ended up turning things around immediately or, or gradually. Something to enlighten our audience in terms of how sales reps can get better as opposed to you hire them and hope that they're good. Yeah, and I've, I've spent a plenty of time of hiring, uh, do a two-week 
crash course, tell them to come watch me, watch what I do, and then wonder why they're not doing very well, right? And so, um, uh, and this is more recently, but what we've what I've noticed is it's obviously we, I talked earlier about the processes, so that's helped a lot, right? So now they know exactly what they're supposed to be doing. We have activity points, so they they know they should be doing those things that they're going to earn points for, right? So that's helped a lot. But then, but then the management, <clears throat> excuse me, is spending a lot of um, direct time with them about what's going on with them mentally even. So I'm, I schedule uh, once a week, I schedule a, uh, a one-on-one where I have some questions, but it's all like, how are you doing? How are things in your life? How, what's going on with your family? Like, I really want to get a good understanding. And that's made a big difference in like mentorship and understanding how to direct this person you know, before in some sales with some sales reps, so I haven't been very successful with when our interactions are just about a specific deal they're doing, but I have no idea what's going on with the rest of their life. I, I, we, oftentimes those things affect whether you can close the deal or not. You know, those things being the other parts of your life that are maybe in, yeah, things are, are difficult. So um, that was made, that's made a big difference for us is, is spending a lot of focused time kind of becoming more of a mentor, but but really understanding what's going on in this person's life. And it becomes very clear why they can't close or why they can't move to the next appointment or, or some of those things just you get a little bit more insight. Yeah. I yeah, love I, how you said that you're managing the whole person, not just their sales funnel. Um, and then also one of my favorite adages is there's no substitute for a competent manager getting closer to situation. Like you're just, you can have all these tips and tricks and all that stuff, but unless you get close to the person, you're not going to be able to help as effectively as, as from a distance. Jake, your take. Yeah, no, that's a great, great comment. And I, it's, you know, I, I haven't uh, really broken it down like that, but it's pretty simple when folks realize that you value them, um, them as a person, them at your company, them growing within your organization, they let their guards down, right? And they take coaching, right? And uh, it, it was cool. Last year, I attended a, a session with the Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belford, and he said, you know, oh, I- yeah. Yeah, I was so successful, right? And every call I'd close, right? And I gave my guys a, a script and nobody was closing. I couldn't figure it out. Nobody was closing deals based on the script that I gave them. And uh, and what he did was basically he started like listening to the pitch, right? And unless you understand and, and you know, you attend demos or presentations with your reps and listen to how they get that script across or that pitch across, um, oftentimes the delivery is just not there, right? And uh, with me, when I look at, you know, my team, it's all about, you know, one, can I listen to a call once a week? Can I dedicate, you know, 20, 20 to 30 minutes to either attend, uh, you know, a webinar with one of my reps where they're pitching a prospect or just pull a recorded call um, and then and then provide feedback on that. Um, and when I, whenever I try to provide feedback, Jim, I, I'm really careful around giving more positive than negatives. That was one of my downfalls as a, a sales leader early on in my career is I would rip my employees apart. I'd say like, listen, I, I listened to this call and you did these 10 things wrong, right? And then, and then your sales reps, like they don't want you attending any more sales calls. They all, like automatically get defensive, right? When working with you. So what I do is I always position more positive than negatives, like three to one. I'll say, you did these three things. Awesome. You didn't like, you really nailed it here. Here's one thing that you could have changed. That's going to increase the likelihood of closing that prospect. And it works. It, I mean, cause their guards go down. Right. Um, and when I think about, you know, kind of a, a story on a top sales rep, I had this, uh, 
sales rep at, at Mercury um, that was recruiting ISVs. And he was, he was really good at his job, um, but he wasn't, he, he never hit like, you know, uh, above a hundred percent. You know, he was one of those guys that was always right around goal. And I knew that he was capable of much more. And so with him, I, what I would do is I would just pull a random call a week and I would have him listen to the call. I'd say, I'm not going to listen to it. Here's a call. I pulled it. It was 20 minutes long. Provide me feedback on your call. Like, what do you think you did well? And what do you think you could have improved on? And uh, what came out during his evaluation of his own calls and demonstrations was that he didn't listen. He's like, listen, I'm just missing things left and right. My prospect is, is giving me all these great tidbits and I'm so focused on my pitch and what I'm going to say next, I'm not even listening to it. Right. And so I got him in the habit of listening to sales calls and we did it for almost a year, 20 minutes, and he would just listen to them, provide feedback. And uh, the, the results in the turnaround was just phenomenal. He went from that 90 to 100% guy to always hitting accelerators and excellence, always going above 120%. And the thing he did differently was he just started to listen to what his prospects said, right? He, start, he just would take his eagerness back a little bit, listen actively to what his prospects said, and then he'd present value. Interesting. Very interesting tactic. Good. I, when I did radio broadcasting, I used to record the games on tape. And then two weeks later, I would try to listen to them as I'm driving around to see, could I understand what I was describing? Because if I did it the next day, I knew what it was. But yeah, there's no replacement for actually listening to yourself. And you guys, I mean, you I know you guys have followed sports and a big uh, Utah fan uh, in, in Jason. Um, you know, it's athletes watch film, coaches watch film. And so you're just applying those same principles. But it seems like folks, if they don't have an athletic background, that thing kind of puts them on their heels. How do you get somebody comfortable with reviewing their work like that yeah for me jim it was uh the fact that like for this individual employee i didn't listen to his calls right i said here's a call just provide me feedback right and uh i think what's underestimated is you know most people are their their own hardest critic right and when they uh, just take a step back and they listen when you force them to listen uh, to themselves or watch what they're doing they're gonna coach themselves a lot more hard than you typically will right um, so just getting them committed, right? And, and most people, like when you ask them, hey, would you spend 20 minutes a week just listening to one of your calls and providing feedback on what went well, areas of improvement, they're going to say yes, probably 100% of the time. And then they're going to be their own hardest critic. So um, it's just, you know, for, for me, it's uh, getting folks uh, just bought into saying, yes, I'm going to listen to myself, right? And then they're going to they're gonna improve oftentimes without that coaching that you're providing. Uh, Jason, anything to add to that point? Well, I did. I did want to add. <clears throat> I said a little plug for you, Jim. But but what also helps is the hiring process. Right. Plug for me, by all means. Go on. <laughs> Take as much time as you have. We'll, we'll go uh, over. That. I think there's this a great author, Jim Roddy, who wrote uh, "Hire Like You Just Beat Cancer," uh, and and in the hiring process, and especially with what you. Uh, describe and your method in there also sets the sales rep up for the fact that you're going to continue this type of communication with them long term. So it's not a surprise. Uh, you're, you know, you're definitely asking a lot of probing questions, getting a lot of feedback, and then you can just continue that on in their employment with that same, uh, and, they're, and they're not surprised by it. Yeah, if you have a frank discussion in the interview process, we're very candid. Let's get all the ugly out on the table. Let's talk transparently. Let's not try to sell each other on something. That's just setting the tone for how 
you need to have a real discussion or not. There's boosting somebody's confidence. Like you said, Jake, you don't want to smash them into the ground, but it can't be like everything's wonderful and sunshine right. and lollipops. You have to have a good, frank discussion so they can handle it. I do remember yep. one sales rep, Jake, that I sat in on their uh, progress report, and, they, and it started off with your self-evaluation. He said, honestly, I don't think I have anything I can improve on at this point. Like, I've hit the peak. I can't do any better. I remember wanting to volunteer. Like, I can think of one thing you can improve on right now to start off with. So, yeah, sometimes you might have to be a little bit uh, – uh, heavier handed with some folks if they're not going to. But you're right. A lot of people, if they hear their own words, uh, they'll improve themselves. So my last question uh, for both of you. Um, can you recommend for our audience a book to read besides mine? Though I appreciate that, Jason. Uh, <laughs> or or an online resource to follow or like a podcast to listen to that would help them improve their biz dev knowledge and skills. So, Jake, if you could go first, please. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, we always say like the quicker you're an expert on your uh, – on what you're doing, the, the, the quicker you're gonna see success, right? So expertise equals success. Um, two articles that we uh, subscribe heavily to, one is payments.com. It's just a awesome uh, kind of pulse on the industry and payments in general. Um, the second we're, we're all fans on is reforming retail. Uh, internally, it's uh, Jordan Thaler. He always uh, takes the approach of, uh, kind of being a pessimist first, right? But um, there's some really interesting stuff in there and it always sparks internal conversations. So those are those are two that we uh, that we always look at in terms of weekly publications. And then of course, if you can uh, subscribe to any of the Ro Jim Roddy readings, uh, those are <laughs> filled with awesome tidbits as well. And then of course, Cashmere's update. Uh, so reforming retail, re what is it, reseller, What's Cashmere? Retail reseller news. Yeah, Michael Cash. Retail reseller news is a uh, weekly publication, quick, keeps you on top of everything that's happening in the industry. Um, that's one that I've subscribed to for the last, gosh, probably 10 years. And it's always relevant information on our channel, like right up our alley that um, everybody should just subscribe to. All right. If anybody's wondering why I have Jake and Jason on, you know, plug in my stuff. How can I, how can I turn that down? <laughs> Uh, Jason, how about you? Any industry resources like Jake mentioned or any business development sales specific uh, resources? Yeah, you know, something that's been uh, uh, pretty powerful for for me in my selling career is strategic selling. Miller and Hyman uh, are the authors on that one. And um, uh, it talks a lot about what Jake mentioned earlier, just, you know, value listening, right? It's always it's all about listening. And there's some uh, very good processes built in there. Um, Jeffrey Gitmer, I think is how you pronounce his last name. I only read yeah. his stuff, you know, G I T O M E R. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, you know, if you're a salesperson, like there's always good tidbits in there. He's always got good things for you to learn. And then, and then, uh, you know, I've, I've read so many business books and sales books, but another one from a, for a salesperson, uh, the greatest salesman in the world by Og Mandino is a, it's another, just kind of like a really basic sales method like do you want to know what it takes read, you know read this book it's, you know it's a quick read easy to go through so got it thank you have either one of you read the challenger sale at all yeah i have we actually uh include some of the challenger sale uh in our decks also like uh comments on on the challenger sale so when we're talking to resellers like uh putting experts in their excerpts in there from the uh from that as well yeah, it's just like the trusted advisor, you know, portion of it on steroids where you need to go in and teach your prospect or your customer something about their business that they didn't know. And that's a way to provide uh, value. You know, that's just a, a really deep way from a trusted advisor standpoint. So, 
Well, gentlemen, thank you very much uh, for that. And everybody listening, we hope you enjoyed our discussion today. If you did, be sure to subscribe to the RSPA YouTube channel and the Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd also appreciate if you'd rate us wherever you find your favorite podcast. The more stars, the better. And if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the point of sale channel, you can check out the RSPA blog, which uh, Jake already plugged a little bit. You can find that at gorspa.org and then clicking on RSPA blog. Before we go, thanks again to Jason and Jake for sharing their wisdom with us today. And thanks also to RSPA Markov Manager Chris Arnold for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music, and last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the point-of-sale ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, please visit our website at gorspa.org. Thanks for listening, and goodbye, everybody. 